Welcome to the DCCC Youth Podcast. This podcast is the conclusion of our series on the New Testament, and in it we talk about the major views on the book of Revelation. Hey, let's pray. God, thank you so much for today, and um, we ask that you would give us knowledge of you, that you would um, help us get rid of any confusion we have, and give us understanding uh, as we think about the sermon we just had and also the, what we're studying um, today as we talk about the book of Revelation. And we just praise you for today and um, ask that you would make my words clear and that we would come away with um, something different in our hearts from today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, we're studying Revelation today. Does anyone know why I chose that last song? Why in particular? Because the song is from Revelation chapter... Seven, read. Oh, finally! So that's the first time anyone has ever gotten that question right in like two years of doing it. Like it can be? No. Oh. <laughs> no, you don't. So we are talking about Revelation today, and this could get interesting. Um... As we talk about it, first of all, who wrote it? John. Yeah, the answer's right on the page. <laughs> John, who? John the No. John the Baptist? John the Disciple, dude? John the Disciple. John the Baptist kind of got his head cut off. Yeah. 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 Yes. It's such a bad thing they don't have pictures that are bloody enough. Anyway, (laughs) um, John, the beloved disciple, John, the writer of the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, wrote this book. He wrote it while he was exiled on the island of Patmos. They have a church there, right? I'm sure they do. Um, he was in exile. It was probably written at the end of Emperor Domitian's reign, which is about 95 AD, which makes this one of the latest written books in the entire New Testament, along with like the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He wrote all of his stuff kind of late. Now, what's important about Domitian? Anyone study Roman times type things? See, that's what's great about being a pastor because I like Roman like studying Roman things I think it's interesting and it all took place during that time so I actually have a bit of knowledge about this it was actually a really hard time for Christians Domitian um, there's a couple times that there was some really bad persecution um, this was one of them and so he's exiled to the island of Patmos uh, it's a hard time for a lot of Christians and that's why it's, I put it on there because it is kind of important he was not very nice to Christians in particular. Um, around 60, 65 AD, I brought this up before, around when the books that Peter wrote were written. There was That was the reign of Nero. And up until that point, people didn't really know who Christians were. Like, they just thought it was like a Jewish thing, a different kind of Jewish sect type thing. And then after that, after that whole thing happened, and I said before how after Rome burned, they started using Christians as um, lampposts. They would light them on fire and hang them on sticks and use them to light the streets and stuff like that. Yeah, and so that was a really hard time. And after that, because it was such a big deal then, that's when it really got, <laughs> that's when it really got difficult for Christians after that because people knew who they were. Um, so it was written to 
uh, written at the end of Emperor Domitian's reign. And it was written to seven churches where John was an overseer. So he was a really important guy. Um, and there's seven churches that he knows pretty well. And so when we um, begin the book of Revelation, actually, I won't read too much of it, but um, when we begin it, it's dedicated, and then it talks to those churches as well. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Verse 4. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. So, that's where we get that from. And then he writes letters to the seven churches. And we have actually studied in the past, when we closed our series on Jesus, we talked about the letter to the church at Laodicea. Um, That's a pretty famous one. The letters to the churches are pretty important. And it's also important because this year's MCCA Conference English slash Youth Theme is Persevering in the Faith, and we're studying the beginning of Revelation, those letters to the churches. So um, there's actually a lot that I'm not going to cover today because we're going to be learning about that at the MCCA Conference if you go. And also in our next series that we're going to start after this, Nutshells, I'm covering something called Eschatology, which is the study of end times. And so... We are going to take a Sunday just to do that and kind of put together all the things on that. So we're going to cover it partially today because we're actually talking about Revelation. Revelation is a huge book, and you could easily spend like a year studying through it and being insanely confused the entire time. Um, So I'm just going to give kind of a little introduction to it. There are four main views um, for understanding what is going on in Revelation. Does anyone want to guess what one of them is? <laughs> they all end with ist. Protist. Sounds similar. The first one is preterist. <laughs> it's, it sounds close. But uh, a preterist believes when he reads um, Revelation is that there is no pro- prophecy in the book. He's, John is actually writing all these things and these symbols and stuff that are in the book are writing about things that happened until the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem in 70 AD. Because this is written later, in 95, they believe everything that's described in here has already happened at the time of John's writing, and he's just recording it in a symbolic history. This is not common. (laughs) This has not at all been the viewpoint of people throughout the history of the church. There have been people who thought this, and it's become a little more common in the past, like, couple of decades or so. But it hasn't been a majority view at all. But it is one of them. Um, number two, the idealist. Uh, well, you already know because it's in there. Idealist says that the entire book is allegorical. You guys know allegory? It's all a picture of the struggle between good and evil. So it's just like a, a nice, really confusing story about the struggle between good and evil. And that's all it really is. Nothing is actually real. It's just all symbol, symbolic of the abstract idea of good and evil. So that's the idealist. The historicist believes that the symbolism in the book outlines the entire the course of church history. So this is getting a little closer to maybe a more common view. It means that like this isn't about the end times, actually. It's about 
if you look at it, you can see correlations between things that happen in church history. Usually people who believe this would say <laughs> that the beast and the whore of Babylon and all those things to, that are in there are actually talking about the Catholic Church. Um, and so that's a little harsh. But, um, again, this is another one, and it says that it, none of it's really future. And then, last of all, and I would say, and I'm not just saying this because this is what I think, but this is far and above the most common viewpoint throughout the entire history of the church of what goes on in, the, in this book. It's been very common, it's, and there's a lot of reason people think this. It's the most natural, literal way to take it. Um, so, the futurist believes the book speaks of the past, present, and future. All prophecies in chapters 4 through 22 are to be fulfilled immediately before and after the second coming of Christ. So you guys know those Left Behind books? Huh? Left Behind? Man, yeah, guys are so little. You know Left Behind? You've heard of them? Yeah, they, had, they came out a couple years ago. But they were huge. They were like bestseller. All like 12 of them. <laughs> I don't know how many there were. There were seriously like ten now. Um, and they were about the end times. They were about the end times, and they were written from a futurist point of view. And there's going to be, I'm not going to lie, as we talk about this in eschatology, there's kind of some vocabulary here that obviously you see futurist, preterist, whatever. But even as you're talking about within the futurist view, like people who believe that this is to come in the future, which is probably by default what all of you would probably think, um, because it's what you have been told I'm guessing and again it is probably the most natural way to take it so when you read this it's prophecy it's going to happen and there have been so many attempts to describe what is actually happen, happening here there's this guy named Hal Lindsey he wrote this book called The Late Great Planet Earth that was also a bestseller like back in the 70s or 80s or something and he like tied all the symbolism in here to actual things that were going on then because of course he was saying that the end of the world was coming because people are always saying that and he said that when it talks about grasshoppers and stuff like that it's talking about helicopters and the army from the east is China invading the Middle East and like all this stuff Um, and none of it happened so anyway within this the, the why does it matter this is a little bit more like I'm actually going to assume that most of you are going to believe the futurist viewpoint. Um, and if you need some convincing, I can offer you a lot of it. <laughs> it's, again, it's probably the mo- definitely the most natural way to take it when you're reading it and you're thinking about wh- how, why did he even write this in the first place. Um, but within that, there's three views. And I say, why does it matter? Because there's this whole passage in Revelation... I shouldn't have put this away. Why did I do that? Revelation 20... Um, verses 1 through 6 there's this thing that's going on in this uh, Bible, the church Bible it says the thousand years and I saw an angel coming down out of heaven having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan and bound him for a thousand years he drew him into the abyss and locked it and sealed it over him so to keep it uh, over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned 
with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have taken part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So this is really confusing stuff. Like I said, we could study this for like a year, and it's really confusing. Um, I'm not gonna, it's really difficult to read if you don't have any kind of knowledge or framework for understanding it. And um, again, we don't, I'm not going to go through a huge study of this right now, but as you can see, it's very confusing. So that passage right there is a bit of a contentious passage. It talks about a thousand years. Why is that important? Here's why. There's three views on what that thousand year period is. Number one is a post-millennial view. What this means, as you can see, is Jesus will, will can't talk. Uh, Jesus' return will follow a thousand-year golden age ushered in by the church. This is actually this was a very common view until World War One and World War Two. Can anyone tell me why? Think about it. Yeah. Did they think that that was the end of the world? They didn't think it was the end of the world, but people were much more happy about the state of the world. I guess. Um, what in general what the post-millennialist thinks about this is that what will happen is that the church will do such a good job like will spread the gospel through all the world and the majority of the world will become Christian and then Jesus will come after that there will be a thousand years where the entire world is basically Christian and then Jesus will come back so that's what that actually means the golden age ushered in by the church um, so people were like things were going pretty good back in the early 1900s late 1800s missions were going to China there were lots of people becoming Christians in India and in general people were pretty happy they were content they are like this is going great the world is becoming peaceful and it's happy and so we'll have this thousand year reign of Jesus or the church will do this for a thousand years and then Jesus will return well then World War I and World War II happened and people got a little more pessimistic about things um, because there was obviously great violence, the entire world was fighting, and obviously today it's it's actually pretty difficult for someone to hold to this view pretty strongly because basically a lot of societies, especially like England, which used to be so Christian, it's like completely secular. Europe is is really turning that way, and America too. It's definitely moving in the other direction. So you won't find a lot of people who necessarily believe this anymore because they're just not as um, optimistic about it I guess but f- there are people who believe it because they actually believe that they think that that's what it says but in the past there were a lot of people just because they felt very optimistic that they, they believed that so that's post-millennialism ah millennialism any guesses ah 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 means no none Jesus is presently reigning through the church and the thousand years is a metaphorical reference to the present church age which will culminate in Jesus' return so what this means is that the millennium is currently going on. This was obviously a pretty um, common viewpoint up until about 1000 AD <laughs> um, because they hadn't hit 1000 years yet. And so they were like, oh, the 1000 years means that 1000 years after the church started, then Jesus will come back. Um, so this is really common. This is probably the most common viewpoint until about 1100. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, wait a minute didn't come back. Well, what are we supposed to think? Um, but there are people, that's why they've changed it now. 
they take it to be metaphorical. A thousand doesn't actually mean a thousand. It's just a kind of like a number, like those numbers I've brought up before. Revelation, the number seven is really significant. There's a beast with seven eyes and seven horns. And seven is like the perfect number, so seven eyes means all-seeing, and seven horns is all-powerful. There's a lot of symbolic things like that. So they say a thousand years isn't really a thousand years. Um, and so it's just kind of metaphorical. And then, of course, you got the people who say, but God, a thousand years is as a day. And like <laughs> everything just gets really mixed up. Um, so that's a millennial. They believe it's metaphorical and the church age could end any time. There isn't actually a real millennium. And then pre-millennial means that Jesus will return prior to a literal thousand-year earthly reign. Now, for those of you, if you do read um, Left Behind, they're not perfect books, but you will probably learn a lot about the book of Revelation from them. But they are written from a... Here we go. Are you ready for this? They are written from a futurist, pre-millennial, pre-tribulation rapture viewpoint. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's, I told you, there's a lot of... There's a lot of um, vocabulary here. But all that means is that they, where I, I kind of put what I think last and what our church would say last, um, our church believes in the futurist view that when you read Revelation, it actually means something's going to happen in the future. We also believe that it's premillennial, that what will happen basically is this. There will be a period of great tribulation, bad things happening, all the stuff that it describes where like the sun goes dark, moon turns to blood, locusts, um, all kinds of people dying and then Jesus will return and he will come and he will be king on earth for a thousand years and then during that time there will not really be death or anything like that but there will be a group of people who grow up during that time and will not be followers of Jesus if you believe that or not and then they will lead, Satan will lead a rebellion at the end of the thousand years with those people and try to overthrow Jesus and it won't work um now the pre-tribulation thing what that means is that our church also means thinks that um, basically you, you never even heard of the Left Behind movies? No, I've never heard of movies. Oh, uh, there's movies. They're kind of cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> surprise, surprise. Um, that all those who are Christians will be raptured, will be taken to heaven before the bad things happen. That is also the viewpoint that those books are written from. So um, in the twinkling of an eye, all, all those people in the movie they also believe that their clothes will be left behind so there's like people driving their cars and all of a sudden they're gone and their cars careen out of control and all these people disappear off the airplane but their clothes are still there and stuff um, I don't know if their clothes are going to get taken but um, that's what that pre-tribulational thing means there's also some people who think that halfway through the time halfway through that seven year period where things are really difficult then the church all Christians will be taken up and there are people who believe post-tribulation that all those people will be taken up to be with Jesus at the end of the tribulation so as you can see there are lots of viewpoints and I'm not going to draw like tons and tons of conclusions on this because again we're going to be covering what's called eschatology the study of the end times um, eschaton is last things in Greek basically end um, and when we go through our nutshell series that's what one of the things we're going to be covering because our church does have a, a stance on this a viewpoint on it and so just so you know <laughs> again our church believes that it is prophecy it will happen in the future there will actually be really a thousand years where Jesus reigns on earth 
and that all people who are Christians will be taken up to be with Jesus before all the bad stuff happens. That's a quick summary of what the church believes. Yeah? Is that like the rapture order? Yeah, the rapture is when people are taken up. Um, So I didn't put that on there, but that's like (laughs) pre-tribulational. There's like five tribulation views. It's like pre-tribulational, mid-tribulational, post-wrath-tribulational, and post-tribulational, and I think some other ones too. Um, As you can see, lots of viewpoints. So that's what our church believes, basically. Um, And I'll try and fill you in a little more. And the reason I'm bringing it all up now and just giving you some help here is it really helps if I tell it to you at least twice. So you can be like, when that happens, when we get to that in a number of weeks, you'll be like, oh, I vaguely remember that. Um, (laughs) Of course, you won't remember what anything means, but you'll vaguely remember. Now, you could take this home and study it every night. Put it under your pillow and do it every night. And then you can answer my questions when I ask them that. Or you could not, which you probably will not. Or you could look back in the notes. Or I could remove all the notes before we study that, so you can't do that. So, what is the point of all this? What is the point of Revelation? Whether or not you believe any of these things, what is the point of Revelation? Here's what it is. God is in control. There's a lot of things that happen in this book, and a lot of very scary things. And no matter what you think, that is always what you will come away with from this book. It says, there's this thing where it says the beast and all of his minions and all this stuff, they're going to come together and do what God ordained what they, that they would do beforehand. Great verse. Because there's all this bad stuff happening. He says, all these bad guys, basically, they're going to come together and they're going to do all the stuff that God knew they were already going to do and had them do. So even when all this stuff is happening, you see these reminders every, every couple chapters where it says, and, and this is, we know this is going to happen. This is... Um, also, why this book has been a great comfort to a lot of people, um, especially people who think of it in a futurist view. They're like, you know what? This stuff is going to happen, and God is telling us already that it's going to happen because he knows. And that's really what you come away with from this book, is that God knows what will happen, and bad things happen, yeah, and really bad things are going to happen. And it's the end of the world, and it's purifying and trying to make people turn to God. But... He knows what will happen. He has already decided what will happen. He is in control. So what does that mean now? If he's in control of all this wild stuff at the end, people are dying, and really, really bad things are happening, he is in control now. Um, when it seems like you know, all this weird stuff is happening, the world's falling apart, he's in control. And I think the, the part that really pictures this the best is at the end. So I want to read that. Um, Revelation chapter 21 and 22, if you have your Bibles. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for in old order, the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. 
He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, idolaters, and all those liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming out, out of, down out of heaven from God. He shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high walls with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were written the names of the twelve apostles of the land. Skip ahead to chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are healing for the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will, they will not need the light of a lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and, he will, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, God of the spirits and the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. When I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and all who keep the words of the, this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they might have the right to the tree of life, and might go through the gates into the city. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and bride say, Come, and, all, and let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. <coughs> And then verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. So there's a lot of stuff in there, a lot of symbolism still. But it says that God will be with men. And the one that really gets me, especially in our studying the past couple weeks of suffering and stuff, is, and there will be no more curse. And the leaves of the tree of life will be healing for the nations. And he's talking about this time when God will rule. It will all be over. And there is a purpose to this all. You know, I don't know where all of you are where you're like, well, that sounds like crap to me. Or you're excited about that. Um, But the message above all in this book is that God is in control. He has a plan. That plan costs his son for our redemption, for us to know him. And we will be with him. And we will be clean we will be holy we will be new and it will be right and there, there's just so much to be joyful about that um, and that really it's the message of revelation now again a lot of people really get hung up on details with this and it is important I think to use our brains and to understand this stuff um, 
But also know that it says, Jesus says in the Gospel, you know, I'm going to come like a thief in the night. When you hear wars and rumors of wars, don't worry about it because you're never going to know when I come. And yet there's still people like, 2012, the world's going to end. Just like people said it was going to end in 1999, in 1989, in 1986, in 1972, in 1000, and like, it's just been this crazy pattern of people saying, no, 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 they got it wrong the other 15 times, but I know this time when the world's going to end. Um, and so I don't think it's, it's right and it's good and it's helpful for us to get hung up on like, okay, when we see this, and clearly Barack Obama is the Antichrist, and we know that the world is going to end. Like, there's people who say that, and we don't know. And the details, they are important. I think it is good to use our brains and try and understand this stuff. But to predict the end of the world and say, I know exactly how it's going to happen, to me, is foolishness above all else. Take comfort from this book. And we are going to get into some more details when we study that big word, eschatology, as we um, go on in our nutshell series. Um, As just thinking about that, I want to remind you, as we move on in the future, this is the close of our New Testament series, and we're moving right into nutshells, in which I will describe. Describe. <laughs> what, what did I just say? Um, which we will describe um, and talk about really quickly, kind of encapsulating in a nutshell what our church and what you know, actually it's going to be pretty broad. What the majority of Christians believe. Um, about there's like eight major areas of doctrine um, and we're going to talk about those try and encapsulate it for you again so you right now probably most of you are like I don't know whatever my parents say Um, or just I don't know and so the goal of this is to inform you so you can make a decision do I believe this or do I not Um, and so we're going to try and do this faithfully and quickly and give you some understanding on some of this stuff and I hope it will be helpful to you so let's pray and I have a couple announcements and we'll go much God thank you for the Bible thank you for the book of Revelation it is confusing and we ask that you would give us understanding but above all that you would give us a heart of trust in you you are in control you are completely great and above all completely above all and we praise you. Glory be to you. We, again, we just ask for our understanding and wisdom in how we live our lives, that we would be wise in how we live, because we know that our time is creeping away from us quickly. It's, it's very short. And give us the right priorities about, um, about what we think about, what we do, how we act, where we invest our time. Thank you again so much for your Bible, the the book that we can use to know you better. It's in your name we pray. Amen.